I'm so thankful that we have access to the glory of God. The glory of God today, part two, and you'll see in just a moment, is called the glory in the wilderness. Can I tell you something? You don't just experience the glory in a church service. One of the main places that you'll experience it is in the wilderness, praise God. And the truth is, most of the time, we don't really need the glory as much in a church service because we can sort of get the spillover if somebody got the glory on them next to us in a setting like this. If you can't feel the glory in a setting like this, something's wrong with you. But how many of those, when we're walking through a valley, when we're walking through a dark place, when we are battling sickness, when we feel rejected and lost, that's when we need the glory. Can I get an amen? So today I'm going to talk to you about the glory in the wilderness. The glory of God is a misunderstood subject. Across the board. It is underpreached. It is seldom walked in. But as I said last week, it was the first thing God ever gave us. He gave us His glory. It is where He lives and it is His will for our lives. Our theme scripture is this. It'll be on the screen with you. If you want to write it down, you can because you need to get this scripture in it, in you. It's in Hebrews chapter 1. It said, God who at various times and in various ways spoken times past to our fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. How many knows his name is Jesus? Ain't no doubt who we're talking about. Whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he has made the world. And verse 3 is our key scripture. Who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Have it becoming so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Can I, can I, I'm going to break it down. We're going to get deep today, and we're going to really get deep, deep next week. But, can, but I love a deep word. But what good is a deep word if you can't make it applicable to your life? So I like to take a deep word, and I like to make it simple where you can understand the deep word. So here's the simplicity of what the writer of Hebrews is saying. If you want to experience the glory of God, you need to go through Jesus. All right, so, so if you've got Jesus in your life, he is the expressed image of the Father. He is the glory of God. He shines with the glory of God. So if you go through Jesus, that's what Jesus was trying to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you just come through me, you have access to everything that I have access to. How many knows that he, everything, I love that scripture, we, we read over that a lot of times, it says, who are becoming so much better than the angels, has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. What does that mean? That means that when he chose to come in bodily form and die, in human form and die, and shed his blood, the name Jesus, because of what he did, became so powerful that his name is greater than any angel's name, it's greater than any person's name, than anyone who has ever existed. That's why he says in Mark chapter 16, in my name you will cast out devils. In my name you will lay hands upon the sick and they will recover. Is this good preaching already? Amen. See, the glory of God didn't begin when Jesus died on the cross. Though. The glory of God has always existed. 
especially since the angels were created, because I showed you last week that the angels were created to produce the glory of God. The glory of God is the atmosphere in which God exists. So God already had glory on him even before the angels existed, but he created the angels to enhance the atmosphere because we, we told you last week that the angels sang one to another, crying out, holy is the Lord God Almighty, even before the earth was created. It was in that environment of glory that God sent the angels ahead of him to create the environment of glory of which he could then move into and create the world in which we exist the glory of god is in heaven the glory of god is here on earth the glory of god was in the old testament the glory of god was in the in the garden of eden we know that because the children because adam and eve were covered in the glory of god are you with me church so we fast forward to the Old Testament, all the great stories that are in the Old Testament. Then we come uh, to, the, to the very famous story of the children of Israel who were uh, in, in bondage and in slavery to, the, to an uh, Egyptian Pharaoh who did not know Joseph and who did not understand that he should have been taking care of the Israeli people. He was intimidated by them, so he, cre- he increased uh, the labor on them and made their life even harder. They began to cry out to God, and God said, I've heard the cry of my people, and of course, all the story of Moses. He speaks to Moses in the burning bush and he says to Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell my people, tell, tell him to let my people go. Do you know the story? Say amen. How many knows he didn't immediately let him go, right? It took what? 10 plagues. Somebody say 10 plagues. We call them the 10 plagues. It was the 10 judgments of God. And it took all the way to the 10th one before Pharaoh finally, he tried and pretended he was going to let him go a few times, but he never did. But it took him all the way to the 10th time before he finally said, get out of here, I'm done with you. What did it take? It was the death of the firstborn. His own son had died. But the, but the children of Israel who put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, how many of those they did, their children did not die? I'm just reviewing stories that you know, but I'm going somewhere with this. So how many knows that you would have thought that after the children of Israel had seen what they had seen, experienced what they had experienced, that they would never have trouble doubting God again? But how many knows the moment they got into the wilderness, they started looking more at the wilderness than they did at the glory of God? And what did they do? They began to immediately complain and gripe and say some of the most mind-boggling things that you could ever read in Scripture They had just been delivered from slavery, not just delivered from slavery, but the the psalmist goes on to tell us uh, later on, it gives us a greater record. It says that when they came out, not one of them was even sick. I'm talking about, you're, you're, you're talking about living a life of poverty and slavery. And many of them were wounded, many of them were lame, many of them could not walk, many of them had been beaten so bad they couldn't even stand up. God healed every single one of them. Before they ever came out, the Bible says not one was lame, not one was even in pain. Are you hearing me? Then on top of that, right before they left, they said, the Egyptian people have spent all this time uh, ransacking the wealth of Goshen where they lived, taking all of your possessions so you have nothing. All your stuff is in their houses. You work for them. When you're in their houses, they don't know what's coming, but I do. Go get your stuff back. Amen. And the Bible said they went in there, and it's in the King James, it says, they asked to borrow their gold and all that kind of stuff. But when you study it out, you find out all they were really doing was taking back what had been stolen from them. So the, the Bible says when they left Egypt, they were healed. The Bible said they were covered in wealth. And the Bible says for 40 years, they circled in the wilderness 
And no, one, no one's shoes ever wore out. No one's clothes ever wore out to have to be replaced. That's amazing. But they said this. Oh, I see what you did, Moses. I see what you did, God. You let us out of one bad situation to put us in another. I'd rather, would I be even back there, we at least got to eat with the pigs. We at least got to eat slop out here. We're hungry, we're thirsty, we're hot in this desert. You did, we're just going to die out here. We would rather go back and be a slave than to die in the wilderness. And Moses is shaking his head going, Lord, what have you done? This is not what I signed up for. How many pastors have said that over the years? <laughs> so, we, so we get to a place now. I said all that to bring you to Numbers chapter 14 because this is a conversation that God is having with man. He's having it with Moses. Now watch what he says. He says, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. He's talking to Moses. But truly as I live. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of God, of the Lord. He said, I'm going to tell you something. You've got to understand, my ultimate goal is to fill this earth with my glory. I don't know what else I've got to do. He says, watch what he says. I have pardoned according to your word. Because all these men who have seen my what? Shout it, what? Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Hmm. But my servant Caleb, verse 24, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. See, do you understand that God is trying to illustrate to you there is a mass of people. These were millions of people. And, he, and we talk about the ten plagues. But I want to show you today that it wasn't plagues. It was the enemy receiving what the enemy receives when the glory of God comes into a situation on behalf of his people. Perception is a huge thing. And perception a lot of times has to do with where you are at when something happens. Because you can see something two miles away in the sky and think it's one thing, but if you're standing right up underneath it, you got a clear picture of what it really is. And you go out here two or three miles away, you start writing on social media all this, what you think it is, but, but the guy that was standing right there that actually saw it happen Write you back and say, dude, you got it all wrong. That is not what happened. I saw what happened. I was right there. So what I'm trying to say is perspective means a whole lot of difference. So when, when the glory of God is, falls upon a place. Now, we're talking about the Old Testament now, not the New Testament. We're talking about how, the, how it happened in the Old Testament. When the glory of God came on behalf of the children of Israel, it was manifested on the children of Israel as blessings. 
it was manifested on the children of Israel's enemies as judgment. Are you hearing me? So what he's trying to say is this. They have all seen my glory. And watch what he said in the same sentence. And the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness. In other words, he says, when you saw me do the ten plagues, that was not just judgment. My glory was there and involved in that as well. Remember the Bible says that it was completely pitch black dark in Egypt, but it was light in Goshen. Many of the plagues would cover Egypt. And Goshen was not like 20 miles away. Goshen was connected right to them. They were not going to let their slaves live in a, in a city that they had to travel to get to. They had to have quick access to them so they could control them. So Goshen was right there. It was the equivalent of being us in here and Goshen being in the parking lot. But yet it was completely black and dark and frogs and lice and all this kind of stuff in here, but nothing but sunshine in the parking lot. Are you hearing me? It's about your spirit. I want you to know the first thing you notice real quick is this, that if you want to see the glory, you, got to follow, you have to follow him. In other words, he said, when I moved, you're supposed to move with me. When I took you through the wilderness, I had an agenda. When you came out, I could have got you there in less than a week. But you went your way and didn't follow me. And it took 40 years. And 40 years later, you're still not following me. You've already forgotten that they, they call it the glory cloud that would lead them by day and a pillar of fire by night, which was the manifestation of his glory. In other words, his glory led them from camp to camp. It said when the cloud moved, we're supposed to move. When the fire moves, the pillar of fire moves, we're supposed to move. But how many of those people will only do what they want to do and they will judge God when God doesn't show up to fix their plans? Am I preaching right? He, he literally speaks a word against an entire nation. All of you men saw my glory. All of you men saw my miracles. All of you men saw what I did in Egypt. You've all seen me bring water out of a rock in the wilderness. You've all seen me open up the ground and swallow your enemies. You've seen all that. And yet, you still gripe and complain and will not accept what I've asked you to do. Therefore, you will not see the land that I promised, that I gave you the access to. You will not see it. But how many of those man is, God is not a man that he should lie? How many of those, if he promises that somebody's going to see the promised land, somebody's going to see the promised land, God's always got a remnant. How many of those, they sent out 12 spies to check out Jericho, 10 come back and said it's impossible, 2 said it ain't nothing to it, let's go. Who were those two? Joshua and Caleb. But notice that he doesn't mention Joshua here. He mentions Caleb. Is that interesting? Joshua would become the next leader of Israel. He would take over after Moses. He was his armor bearer. He was his right-hand man. But Caleb had a spirit about him that caused God to talk about him. Hmm? I preach about Stephen. When you've got an anointing like Stephen, when, you, when, you, when you've got a call on your life like Stephen and you make Jesus stand up, and heaven opens up and you can see Jesus standing up where he usually is sitting down. 
How many of you, you done done something? Praise God. I know that ain't proper English, but you done done something. You get Jesus to stand up. When you get Jesus to talk about you, when you get God, when he's talking about, when he's talking to his prophet and he mentions your name to the prophet, you better know you done done something. Mm-hmm. It's just like Job. People, people, people push about, well, Job, you know, Job is synonymous with judgment and all this kind of stuff. But let's don't forget, it was God who brought the name up of Job. It was God. He, he was so close to God. He had lived his life on such a level of purity. The devil's running his mouth about all these people. And Jesus is just sitting there listening to all of them. When, he, when the devil gets through talking, he says, there's one name that I hadn't heard you mention. Have you considered my servant Job? How many of those, how many of you sitting on the throne and you get Jehovah God to say, hey, you ain't said nothing about Job. Are y'all hearing me? See, when, you call, when, when Caleb's name was called, he said, but my servant Caleb had a different spirit about him and has followed me fully. No matter what I told him or told Moses to do and Moses told him, he did not question. How I many of those God did not talk to Caleb? You don't understand what I'm saying. God did not talk to Caleb. He talked to Moses. And Moses talked to Caleb. But Caleb had a servant's heart that he knew when his leader spoke, the Lord said this, it was as if he said it to him. It's called the mouthpiece of God. It's what gets you in trouble. I'm not, I'm not trying to make out pastors to be better than anybody else because we're human just like anybody else. But when God is flowing under the anointing and God has set you up under a shepherd, you have got to trust that when the man of God is anointed and he's speaking into your life, he is not God, he'll never be God, but you've got to believe at this point right now, God is speaking through me. If you don't believe that, what are you doing here? Just go get you a self-help guru, a life coach to give you some positive, and nothing against life coaches, but get you somebody to just give you uh, some positive information about how to live your, your best life now. That's not what I've been called to do. I want to take you into the glory cloud, praise God. I want us to go into the glory cloud together. Hallelujah. God said it's, it's true. Let me tell you, how many of us, if God says something, he don't, he don't change his mind? Watch this. And God says of the earth, as truly as I live, and how many of God is alive? He's always existed. The earth shall be filled with the glory. See, Caleb's servant's heart understood that it was never about him. And when you understand that it's not about you, then you can access the glory. Because the glory of God does not come on people that thinks it's about them. You know the old saying, your gifts will take you places that your character can't keep you. A lot of people are very, very gifted in things, and they'll, they'll, it'll open doors for them, but there's a pattern of their life that they consistently can never stay at that place. They've got to move on from place to place to place to place, finding new people that are enamored with their gift. But the, you can be silent, you can be quiet, you can be even introverted, but if you have a servant's heart, like Caleb, 
Not only will you experience the glory, but I, look, I don't know if I'm going to be able to preach all this or not, but is this okay? Is this good right now? I want you to see this because I didn't even see this this week when I was studying. I saw this this morning back there when I was looking over my notes. I went, my God, I highlighted this. If they got my notes back there, back, the notes they got back there is not even highlighted like mine because it hit me. That God said, but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit to him and followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. In other words, he made a point to speak. I know exactly every place his feet touched. He didn't, he didn't list any of those other ten spies, did he? Now, how many knows he didn't just go to the mountain that he took later that God finally told him he could take the mountain? He walked through Jericho. So God was saying, the descendants of Caleb will possess Jericho. Not just his man. Caleb will take the mountain. Mm, come on, somebody. And he'll, he'll, he'll die of old age in the mountain. But his kids, his grandkids, his great-grandkids, they are to this day, many of them, the children of Israel who are living in Israel right now because of the faithfulness I have a humble man who had no official title, and I don't have time to preach on Caleb today, but I found this out years ago. It's interesting to me that he was not even a born Jew. He, be, he came from another people, and he was converted to Judaism. I can show that to you in Scripture. You're talking about amazing. He served Moses, but you know what? He also served Joshua. How many knows? It's one thing when your buddy, your best friend, because every year are Joshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb. It's you're sort of like me and Delane. Me and Delane, all our lives have been together since we were four or five years old. We know that that long. We're still just Larry and Delane. We still hang out. We still go to the movies together. We still grill out together. We do family time together. But many, many years ago, I became his pastor. And a lot of people I know probably thought, "How's he ever going to look at him as his pastor?" I'll give this to Delane. Delane has always looked at me as his pastor. He addresses me as, as his pastor. He seeks guidance from me as his pastor. And he knows when I got the pastor hat on and when I take it off and we just, I'm just Larry. And that's why God has blessed him. Because he understands that one of the hardest people to submit yourself to is a peer. And certainly someone who you consider to even have less talent than you. But you have to trust that when God puts his glory on someone, he sees something inside of him that you can't see. Caleb had a different spirit. In fact, isn't it interesting that when you study scripture, when Joshua and Caleb came back, you know who spoke up and talked about what they saw? It was Caleb. Next thing in your notes is this. If you want to experience the glory, you need to hang around those who walk in the glory. Mm. See, Notice that the people who did not pursue his glory were not permitted to go into the promised land. It is because they hung in circles of negativity. They hung in circles of rebellion. Many of them got swallowed up by the earth when they chose to serve another leader that God had not put his glory on. It was the glory that led them through the wilderness. But many of them thought they, they knew a better way. It is, it is, a, it is an absolute ritual of the modern church to get 
a touch of God, a goosebump on your goosebump, and all of a sudden think, wow, I'm so anointed, I got this God. And every single time, the next thing that comes out of that is you begin to build a following around your rebellion. You better be careful. This ain't what I'm supposed to be preaching. But I'm telling you right now, the, the biggest thing that will keep you from the glory of God is a rebellious spirit. It's the sin of witchcraft. The Bible said it's the sin of witchcraft. You need to be careful what you say, but more importantly, because a lot of you are real careful what you say publicly, but you're not as careful about what you allow yourself to hear. You will let somebody else say what you want to say, but was so high and mighty you didn't say it. But if you entertain it and listen to it and you don't stop it, it's just like you said it. What happens to a person who rejects the glory of God in their life? Let me tell you what happens. They are doomed to live a life and die in the wilderness. The only thing that can bring you out of the wilderness is to submit yourself to the glory of God. To submit yourself to God. And that's what happened. They did their own thing. And not only did they not get to go in, they had to die in the wilderness. It was the only people that came out that went in was Joshua and Caleb. Every other person that came out of Egypt died in the wilderness. Except their children and their grandchildren that were born in the wilderness. They were the ones that had access and was permitted to go in. But every single person except Joshua and Caleb that saw God do the 12 plagues or whatever you call it. Never made it in because of their rebellion. Now I'm going to tell you something. You're talking about that's bad enough. But if you study scripture, you'll know that Jericho was right on the other side of the Jordan River. And the circle that they made for 40 years circled them beside the Jordan River multiple times. So for 40 years, they'd get on that side of the Jordan River and they would look and they could see the promised land. Of course, we know a couple of the tribes chose to stay on that side of the Jordan, and they set up their camp there, and they lived there on that side of the Jordan. But God split the Jordan River, and they went over there, and they, they conquered Jericho. The walls collapsed, and then it became uh, Israel. But watch this. People don't think about this. They still did the same circle. So now, not only did they have to die and did not get permitted to go in, they had to walk and live in the desert the rest of their life watching their children and their grandchildren live and dwell in a land that they had access to. They, they could see it. They could see their kids and their grandkids, but they couldn't even be with them. To some people, and probably to me, that'd be worse than death. I'd rather die than to have to circle around and know that for the rest of my life, part of the judgment that came upon me is I'm glad that my kids were being blessed, but, but I could not be with them. And I had to just watch them from miles and miles away, knowing that if I'd have just submitted myself to God, I could be right with them. Mm, come on, somebody. See, the wilderness experience doesn't mean that you're separated from God. How many knows God was in the wilderness? How many knows the glory of God was in the wilderness? He made a point to tell them, listen, stop. The glory cloud has stopped. Let's all camp and get some rest. And Moses would walk out in, the, in front of his tent and literally, can you imagine? It's a pillar of fire. 
by night. The whole camp was lit up by this giant pillar of fire. And then day, it would turn into a glory cloud, smoke. And it would just sit and sit and sit for days and days and days and days and weeks. And unexpectedly, right when God felt like it was time, the cloud would just go and just start moving. Well, some people were right in the middle of eating. Some people were working. Some people were on the back, as far away as they could, on the back side of the camp. And they lived on the front side of the camp. It would be, some people would be like, oh, my God. He picked a really bad time to get up and move. But when the glory cloud moved, you had to drop everything. And you moved. If you wanted to live and survive and be fed and have water, you better move. But we get comfortable, don't we? We get comfortable, and many times we get frustrated in the wilderness. And one of the default things we do in the wilderness is we shut down. And we decide to hunker down, and if we're not careful, we begin to blame God. How in the world did you allow this to happen? The next thing on your notes is just the glory of God will lead you through the wilderness. It will not just, the glory of God will not just meet you at the beginning of the wilderness and say, I'll be waiting on you when you come on the other end. He is with you in the midst of it. Remember when Jesus told his disciples? He told his disciples in one of the most famous stories in Scripture. They were on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and, and he was standing there, and he said, listen, here's what I, I need to go pray, but before I need to go pray, I want you to do something. I want you to get in the boat. Remember this? Remember when the storm came and Jesus came walking on the water? Y'all know that story? You ever heard Jesus walking on the water say amen? We know that story. We preach that story, but one thing we don't preach is this. is what he said before it all started. He said, I need you to get in the boat, Go on out in the sea, and I will meet you on the other side. All right, so, so in other words, what he, some people say, well, that just, well, you just contradict yourself. He's saying, I'm here with you at the beginning, and I'll be, here, I'll be there for you when you face the storm. When you get through it, I'll be waiting on you back there. No, 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 no. He knew the storm was coming before he ever told him to get in the boat. And we know that he was there with them because when they got in the midst of the sea and the storm started raging and they all started crying after they were going to die, Jesus is just taking a stroll. The storm means nothing to God. Storms do not intimidate God. Waves do not intimidate God. Lightning boats do not intimidate God. Thunder does not intimidate God. All of them things were created by him. They're all subject to him. Not just peace, be still in the winds. He just walks on top of them. And he's just walking. Right, watch this, in the midst of the sea. He's letting them know. It may look like I, I abandoned you, but I never left you. I needed you to learn something that was going to help you when I go to sit at my Father and I send the Holy Spirit, and I'm not here with you personally. I need you to know and understand that when storms come, when wildernesses come, that doesn't mean I am not there. I need you to be able to trust me. Am I preaching right? So the glory of God will not just be there when you light your way to, as you go in the wilderness. He is there with you through it all. Just a very quick review from last week. We talked about the glory of God, about producing the glory of God, that it is a tangible, touchable substance that we produce when we praise God to each other. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3 says, The angels cried one unto another at the throne, saying, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, for the whole earth is full of his glory. The Bible said the praise shook the doors of the temple. The atmosphere of the temple was changed by the praise, and smoke filled the temple. Do you see the pattern here? Fire and smoke, glory. 
When they begin to pray, when they begin to say unto each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He is holy in all, and all the earth shall be filled with His glory. It created an environment that was manifested by fire and smoke. The same thing that happened in the, in the wilderness. The same thing that happened in the upper room. Smoke. Smoke is a byproduct of something solid or tangible transforming into something gaseous or intangible. In other words, if I was to drink all this water and it was an empty water bottle and we had a fire going right there, I'd throw it in there and you hear it go, Psh, you know what I'm talking about? That plastic, would, but all of a sudden you look down and you might see some remnants of it, uh, but most of it, and certainly if the fire was hot enough, eventually you'd see no remnants that that bottle ever existed. And you see smoke going up, and it blows our mind to try to comprehend it, but the bottle that I threw in the water, into the fire is now in the atmosphere. It's, it's been changed by the power of fire from something tangible and touchable to something intangible and gaseous that you can't reach out and grab. You can't box up the glory of God. Huh? You can't go to a house fire when it's on fire and, and grab a big umbrella or a big bag or something and scoop up all the smoke. You can get some of the smoke in it, but how many of those, even if you had an ability to have this big giant vacuum and you're sucking all the smoke out, there's impossible for man to remove all the smoke. And even if the smoke is gone, we still smell it. Why? Because that's an invisible part that's still in the gaseous atmosphere that we can't even see and touch. But yet we, we have convinced ourselves that we can bottle up the glory of God, box him up, and put him in a corner and say, during worship, I'm going to let you out. And, and then after worship, I'm going to put you back in. And we're going to be blessed by you, God, by doing that. Are you hearing me? See, Exodus 29, 18 says, when you burn the ram on the altar, it is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma. An offering made by fire to the Lord. I got a feeling our worship sort of smells like a T-bone smells on my, on my grill when it's just right. Come on, somebody. People walk up on my porch and that smoke hits them. If I got folks over, they pull up in our driveway and it just always happens. The smoke just sort of takes it right to that driveway. And before they ever get to my house, they go, ooh, something smells good. Are y'all hearing me? But, but listen, it's on, a, it's on a billion, a trillion time level. When the people of God begin to worship God, it is addicting to God. Next week, I'm going to show you just how addicting to God it is. But as I, as I come down off this mountain, have I skipped any notes? Am I doing good? Are we still in line? Okay. The last one you got was uh, the glory of God will lead you to the wilderness, right? Okay. All right. I'm going to show you one quick thing. The last 10 minutes I got, I'm going to show you something that's so powerful. How many of God does not make things up as he goes? He has a very intentional plan. Everything happens because it's the way God intended it to happen. Especially in the heavenly, especially in creation. Especially when he tells his prophets to do something, to build something, to construct something. It's always with specific details. The number of cubits. God is a God of patterns. God is a God of numbers. Can I get an amen? Things that, th things that are, there are patterns in scripture that are not coincidence. And a lot of people don't realize that the Bible clearly teaches us that the temple that was, that he finally agreed to, for mankind to build is a replica of the temple that is in heaven there is a temple that is in heaven there is a throne in heaven there is a holy of holies in heaven and there is an ark of the covenant in heaven and so we build 
he told Moses to build scale models of these that were in heaven. Because we know that book, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies once with his own blood. It was during the time when he came out of the grave on the third day and he saw Mary and he told Mary not to touch me. He said, do not touch me for I, for I go to my father, but go tell my descendants that I go to my father and I'll come to them. So it was at that moment, the Bible tells us Hebrews, he took his own blood in the altar uh, into, the, uh, into the Holy of Holies, put his spotless blood and it stays fresh in heaven because there is no decay, there is no death, there is no sin in heaven. So the blood that is on the altar next to the throne of God to this day, the blood of Jesus is as fresh as the day that he took it there 2,000 years ago because it forever comes covers us are y'all with me that ain't what i'm preaching but that's what i'm talking about now when isaiah saw in isaiah chapter 6 he said when i in, in the year that king uzziah died i saw the lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple he described the cherubims he described the throne you remember that from last week if you wasn't here last week it's online but watch this when he saw that he saw a little interpretation of a heavenly pattern that God had laid out with Moses and the construction of the ark. Because watch this. If you think about the ark of the covenant, the Bible tells us that God positioned cherubim that were on the top of the ark facing each other. Think about it. Go look at pictures of the ark of the covenant. There are angels with their wings and their wings touch each other. Mm, this is deep. Isaiah in Isaiah 6 saw the angels praising God and reminding God to one another that God is holy. John saw the beast around the throne and the elders praising God to each other crying out he is holy. So the atmosphere that Isaiah saw is the atmosphere that John sees in the book of Revelation. God desires to manifest his glory in the midst of people giving him glory. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speaking one to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Notice we are praising God, but we are speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. Do you see that? That's not my words, that's Scripture. So no, sometimes we need to sing to each other. Sometimes we need to remind each other that God is holy. Next thing in the notes is this we have to remind each other who is holy and who we are serving. God. We have to remind each other who we are serving, who is holy. God. Now I want you to think about it. When the, it is at this precise place that those angels' wings touch on the top, top of the Ark of the Covenant, that it is so powerful, illustrate it. So powerfully illustrates what that moment is trying to record to us as a natural example, that it was given a name. It was named that place where they touch. What is it called? Does anybody know? The mercy seat. It is called the mercy seat. It is called the mercy seat because it is believed by all who have studied Jewish history and by all the, the priests of the Old Testament that it was the place at Passover that Jehovah God would come into that dark room where the priest was standing in there trembling by himself, slinging blood on that altar in complete total darkness, that God would come and sit down and bring so much glory in that room 
that it would strike the priest dead immediately if he, were, if he was in violation of the law. But he didn't sit over in the corner. He sat at the place where the angels touched each other, which was an exact earthly golden replica of the environment in which he just left. Because all around his throne, angels are flying continuously, going all around, touching in agreement. Holy, holy, holy! That is the environment in which he exists. Is this good preaching? See, God created the angels, as I've said before, he created the, the galaxies so that he would always have an atmosphere that, of glory that could go before him and manifest his glory and power that would be an inviting environment for him to step into and create. When you think about the vastness of God, that means that all the galaxies and all the Milky Way, or the, the Milky Way, our Milky Way, and the galaxies beyond that, as far as they go, they were all created by God. You can believe they were created by an explosion if you want to. And I don't know, God could have created them by an explosion. I can tell you, ultimately, they were created by God. That's what he told Job. Where were you at when I laid the foundation? Where were you at when I anchored this thing in place called gravity? You are not there. We either believe the Word of God or we don't. That means, that means that he, the Bible tells us, We've already shown you that before creation, the angels, the sons of God that we talked about last week, were crying one to another in that environment that God called earth out of. So every galaxy, he has sent glory worshipers and producers ahead of him. The, name, the angels are almost innumerable. So, so they don't, they're not just here. They're probably in all the galaxies, just, just, just praising God. There's not a galaxy out there that doesn't have someone, an angel in that galaxy, giving glory to God. But this is his main focus, us. See, i got to go quickly. Do you know a astronauts wear spacesuits? Because they were, not des they were designed to only exist in a certain atmosphere. When they leave this atmosphere and go to another atmosphere, they have to have a special suit to allow them to survive. That's what I'm trying to show you, is that God, God doesn't ever survive. He is existence. But when he moves into a situation, he moves into a situation and an environment of his glory. Next two quick things on your notes, I'll give them to you together. God has chosen to only operate in an atmosphere of glory. You want to invite God in this place? You need to produce some glory in this place. You need to be giving Him glory in this place. Don't come as a spectator. Don't come and just receive a concert up here. Come giving Him glory. Get up on Sunday morning like David and said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to give you honor. I'm going to give you glory. Heaven is full of His glory. He said, pray this prayer when you pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so what is his will in heaven i'm telling you heaven is full of his glory people are giving him glory constantly in heaven 
We want, to talk, we want to say that that just means that you're healed and you're delivered and you're free. That all does mean that. But when you really study the glory, you're, really try, you're hearing Jesus saying, listen, when you pray, make a commitment to God that you're going to do your part to create an atmosphere of glory in your house, in your car, on your job, where God is welcome. And the last thing is obvious. It has always been God's will for the earth to be filled with his glory. See, heaven is full of His glory, angels, beasts, and saints, but earth is only full at this time of pockets of people giving glory to God. Pockets. Listen, God is everywhere. I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about an atmosphere of glory. And that's why you've got to open up your heart and understand something. When you say glory, you don't say, we worship you, glory. Glory is not God. We give God glory. He has glory on Him. That's why we call it the glory of God. The anointing of God. The presence of God. So God is everywhere. But there are certain times and environments where people worship God together. It's like a perfume. And God can't resist. And He says, I'm everywhere, but I'm going to release my glory. And I'm coming down and I'm walking amongst them. Next week, that's what I'm going to talk about. The scent of His glory. I'm going to talk about when God told Solomon to build the temple. What did they do? 24 hours, 7 days a week, they did nothing but praise God. And I'm going to show you next week that as they begin to praise Him, there was days went by and nothing happened. Harps playing, voices playing, trumpets playing. There were people working, building the temple. But they stayed faithful. I'm going to break it down next week that at some point, in that consistent, producing an environment of glory, it became so filled with praise to God. They finally got in one mind and one accord that the whole house all of a sudden was filled with smoke. No fire was lit. The house was filled with smoke. And the Bible said people started staggering. And priests who had been in the presence of God, the Bible said, couldn't even stand up. They couldn't even do their job. They started falling out in the power of the Holy Ghost. This is in your Bible. Because all of a sudden, the glory, the atmosphere of glory was so thick that humanity could not even stand up in it. Let me tell you something. That's the Old Testament. Jesus said we got a better covenant based on better promise. Why can't we believe that the glory of God's going to be so strong in this house that we can't even stand up? We got to fall to our knees and cry, holy, holy.